one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Mats Wilander and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. The world's best tennis players are back on court this week at the Masters 1000 event in Shanghai. We'll have a good chat about that soon. We'll also speak to Goran Ivanisevic. In the first part of a two-part interview with Goran, Catherine dares to ask him about the Wimbledon finals that he didn't win. Good luck with that, Catherine. That's coming up right here on the Tennis Podcast. So, Goran Ivanisevic coming up here on the Tennis Podcast. I'm David Law, the person responsible for turning Goran into a fan of the British football team West Bromwich Albion. Sorry about that, Goran. Uh, I'm joined by Catherine Whittaker, who supports Reading Football Club in the UK. Catherine, Reading Football Club, have you convinced any players yet to join their cause? Uh, no, I am working on it, though. I'm just lining up a, uh, a susceptible candidate. Just, just give me Who's time. That? Who? Well, I haven't figured out who it is yet. <laughs> well, so you haven't lined anybody up at all. You're you're trying to work out who I haven't already lined up to support Reading, West Bromwich Albion. Is, is basically need, the case, isn't it? Reading don't need celebrity celebrity followers. We're um, you know. He's not a celebrity follower. He's a genuine fan. You look at you ask him. You know what he's like. Yeah, and oh no, he is absolutely a genuine fan. That's why I want to choose my um, choose my target wisely. You know, I don't just want to dive in and start converting the whole of the Champions Tour. <laughs> yeah, well, I've already I've already sort of um, uh, cornered off John McEnroe as well. He doesn't really know that much about it, but I did uh, sort of put his own, put his own name on the back of a, a West Bromwich Albion blue and white striped shirt and make him stand there holding it up as if he was a new signing next to Goran and that made it all over the front pages of uh, of the newspapers which is why I'm so proud of myself anyway yes Goran Ivanisevic the uh, the interviewee on the tennis podcast uh, this week and uh, it's a fascinating interview that Catherine has done with him it's the first of a two-part series we'll have part two next week and I suppose you might be called this one BW before Wimbledon certainly the one that he actually managed to win we'll have second part uh, 2001 onwards next week when uh, when the story gets a little bit happier so it's a it's a, it's quite a quite a, uh, a journey that Goran Ivanisevic had until he finally had a happy ending let's uh, have a little chat about what's uh, gone on in the week in tennis over the past seven days we're 
we are currently sort of halfway through the Shanghai tournament at the moment, aren't we? And yet Andy Murray hasn't hasn't played a match. He won't even play a match until Thursday. I, I've just heard that his first round opponent, Florian Meyer, has withdrawn ahead of their match with injury. But last week in Tokyo, he made his first appearance since winning the US Open. And all in all, I think it was a pretty good week, Catherine. He got to the semi-finals. Yes, absolutely fine. No cause for alarm. Um, it's a it's a purely purely from a rankings perspective. If he's got any hopes of an assault on the number one spot, um, it is a disappointment because obviously he's he does have a lot of points to defend from this period in the calendar. But you know, losing to Milos Raonic seven six in the third in the semis, I mean. Of course, he would like to have won, but um, I'm not reading too much from into match that, really. point up. Actually, was that a problem? It happens every Bit now of and then. It's a surprise, isn't it? It's it, quite a surprise it, for Murray to lose from match points up. I'm, I've been racking my brains trying to think when that last happened. There aren't too many occasions. No, uh, no. Well, as with all of the top guys, you'd, you'd say really. I mean, that just doesn't seem to happen. But and, unless it happens again. Um, you know, anytime soon. I'm not reading too much into it. Great win for me, Lars Raonic, though. And I, I think that that says something about the player that he is, because we talk a lot about his power, his weapons, but, you know, here's a guy who got absolutely marmalised by Murray in, in the US Open a few weeks ago, came out, was a match point down, and still had enough self-belief to go on and, and win that match and beat Murray. I think it says a lot about his strength of character. Yeah, good on him, because that's a criticism a few people have had, isn't it? That he doesn't seem to have the fire or the grit, you know, he's just a little bit too casual. Really? Um, Milos Raonic. I've never thought that about him. No, of all the players, to you know, I think you could level that at Bernard Tomic, who who lost 6-4, um, 6-love oh, a few days ago. I think you could level it at Dimitrov, who lost today 6-3, 6-2 against Djokovic. But Raonic, in, really? In Dimitrov, in a different in a different way. They're sort of just young. I mean, uh, Milos Raonic is, is young as well, but just just too laid back almost. You know, a bit, a bit, of, the, bit of the same thing that Marin Cilic is, is afflicted with, perhaps. Now, you see, I, 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 I rarely disagree with you, Catherine. Well, every day I disagree with you a little bit. But on this one, I wholeheartedly disagree with you. I think that of all the players that have come along in the last um, few years, of, of young players, he's the one who seems the most zoned in, the most focused, the most in terms of knowing where he's going and what he is as, a, as an aggressive servant volleyer and he's going to th- take his game to you. I mean, he was he was trash talk well, not trash-talking, but he was building himself up a- ahead of the Murray match at the US Open. I think that rather backfired. I think he chose the wrong player to do that against, to, to talk up his chances and say he's he needs to worry about me more than me worry about him. But I think he's the sort of player who, who knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going. Oh, I think you're talking nonsense. Well, I hope you're right because um, I've got a lot of time for him. He seems like a great guy and um, I've got a lot of time for his game, you know, bring something a bit different. And I I absolutely hope you're right. I, you know, it's just something I've heard said at him, something I've heard speculation about. Um, so. You line these people up who are saying this and you get them in front of me and I'm going to talk them round because I'm not having that. Poor, poor guys. <laughs> <laughs> but but he did lose uh, in the final to another young player, Kane Ishikori, who has been 
kind of threatening to do this for a while, hasn't he? I mean, he, you know, I think the first time I saw him play was at Queen's a few years ago and he gave Nadal a fantastic match, really showed great ball striking ability and ability to take the ball early and, and just uh, play assertively. But he's had a lot of problems with injury and I think probably as well the weight of expectation in his homeland. Yes, I think winning in front of a home crowd, I mean, I don't think we can underestimate how big a deal that is in terms of significance and in terms of overcoming what obvious nerves and pressure there would have been because I'm sure that's just immense. Um, I, th- I think I think Kane Ishikori will win some tournaments at this sort of level. I do think he's a very decent ball striker. You know, I've heard I've heard a couple of interviews with him since that win talking about you know his ambitions of reaching the top 10 and winning some masters there's a but coming here isn't there i think winning masters 1000s or reaching grand slam finals would be overachieving for him do you disagree yeah i do yeah i do i mean i that's not to say that i think he will necessarily do it what i would say is i think he's got the ability to do it the fact that he took on Raonic serving you know 135 140 mile an hour bombs at him and was just really treating the serve as though it wasn't was an, a minor inconvenience to him he he was it was probably the closest sort of style of play to sort of Marcelo Rios or Andre Agassi on the return of serve that I've seen in a long while he was just standing on the baseline soaking up the power and using it against the opponent and and I didn't know he'd got that that ability to do that until I to watched a, a few of those matches in Tokyo last week I think the biggest question mark is it's one week you know mm-hmm. I think I think in terms of sheer ability I think he has got the ability to go to a final and maybe even win a Masters 1000 I think he could go deep into a grand slam I think he has the ability I think the different the, the, the question mark is looking at him physically he doesn't look like an imposing figure you don't have to but I wonder whether he's got the the stamina the endurance to go all the way and to live with these guys over the best of five sets at these sort of events that, that'd be the big question of mark for me he is absolutely going to have to stay healthy and fully fit isn't he he doesn't stand a chance unless he's got the legs in him you know he's going to have to to be a player in in the michael chang mold or guillermo Correa, or something like that isn't he um, Corey is a good comparison. Stature. Yeah, I think that there is a similarity there in the movement and in the in the ball mm. striking. Yeah. Well, we shall see. I mean, again, I think he's interesting to watch. I I wish him all the best. I just I can't see a Grand Slam final in him. Um, I see him winning, you know, the odd uh, ATP 500 event. Um, I'm thrilled for him that he won in Tokyo. I think that's absolutely fantastic um, for tennis. It would be a great story for tennis, wouldn't it? If if he became not only a, you know, I mean, he's top 20 now and he's won in Tokyo, but what a story it would be for tennis if he were to become one of the top 10 players and really challenging and getting to Grand Slam quarterfinals and, and, and threatening the top four. It would be. It would be. Again, I'm a bit sceptical, but um, yeah, of course, it would be fantastic. As as I've said for the past couple of weeks, I think some challenges to those top spots, some genuine challenges would be very welcome, uh, particularly on the men's side of the game.
Well, let us know what you think uh, at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. Do send in your thoughts. Who is going to be? I think this is a big question. It's a question we've asked uh, some of the, the 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 champions that we've interviewed, and we'll we'll no doubt put these out on uh, on the Tennis Podcast in weeks to come. We've asked them of which of these uh, up and coming players is going to be the one. You know, is it going to be Milos Raonic with the big game? Will Kane Ishikori break through and start winning? Uh, Masters 1000 and uh, events and, gr- and going far in Grand Slam tournaments will Bernard Tomic find the solutions he seems to be a little bit burnt out really by the, the tennis year at the moment he, he said as much in his post-match press conference uh, following the Maya loss Grigor Dimitrov uh, the tennis podcast's own Grigor Dimitrov the man we're always talking about and, uh, and who frankly looked a, a little bit lost today against Novak Djokovic no great shame in that because Djokovic is one of the best players in the world, possibly the best player in the world, could end the year number one. One in Beijing last week, did Djokovic, just keeps rolling on and on, beat Joe Wilfred Songer. So let us know your thoughts uh, at Tennis Podcast on Twitter, and uh, we'll chat it over with you in weeks to come. Uh, Djokovic, I mentioned there, Catherine, you know, he's a machine. Uh, he just he puts behind him the disappointment of losing to Murray in the final and comes out and wins in Beijing. It's, it's hugely impressive. Yep, good on him. Great performances all through the week. Shame about Songa um, in the final. Um, I have to ask whether you've seen the video of Djokovic dancing after he won the title. Have you seen that? I have, yes. I have. I've also seen the uh, the video that Laura Robson yeah, has good, done, uh, doing the same doing the same dance uh, with uh, with one of her friends on the uh, WTA tour. I mean, it is it is really impressive. I mean, I'd never even heard of this dance until I saw that video because I'm well, I'm about hundred years old. I don't really understand. Uh, I don't really understand dancing, as you can probably imagine. Um, I'm but uh, yeah, I, I mean, coordination isn't really my. <laughs> my thing you know and uh, and rhythm rhythm what what is that um but uh, no absolutely uh, i have seen djokovic do that dance he, he looked a little bit reluctant let's be honest he you did can imagine but good on him for his, doing it all the same yeah he was in his post-match was presentation bit, and the, wasn't he? Uh, the mc was not having his suggestions that he would do it backstage once uh, everybody had gone home she said no no <laughs> stop the music on get all the ball kids out to do the dance right novak join in um, and and good enough, he he, he certainly did so. Um, and as we said, Laura Robson managed to um, coerce Samantha Stoser and Maria Sharapova and Joe Wilfred Songa to be part of her video to this uh, this song and doing the uh, doing the dance as well. Can, yeah, it has made me wonder if maybe we could persuade a few of the Champions Tour players to uh, to do a little bit of that. Could you imagine that? Well, I could <laughs> Just imagine, imagine that, how many actually. knees would go out. <laughs> 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 yes. Watch this That's space. If you unfair, want to see Goran Ivanovic doing Gangnam Style, yeah, then, uh, your absolutely. wish may be granted. Yeah, well, I think I think I think Catherine's onto something here. When she gets an idea in her head, it, it can sometimes uh, it can sometimes become something quite big. So let's see if uh, we can get the Champions Tour players to to do some. What is it? Gangnam style dancing? Gang- is that Gangnam right? Gangnam style. Oh, okay. Well, there we are. You see, you can see I'm really with it. Uh, uh, that's that's me. Um, We've uh, we've uh, had a couple of questions come in on Twitter um, to at tennis podcast. Ren Robles has asked um, who we think is the greatest of all time out of Rod Laver, who won two calendar year Grand Slams, and Roger Federer, who of course has won more Grand Slam tournaments than anybody, but hasn't actually won the calendar year Slam. Catherine, what do you think, Rod Laver or Roger Federer? 
I'm a bit torn here because when I interview people and I ask them the who's the greatest question, I absolutely hate it when they wriggle out of it and basically say, oh, it's impossible to compare generations, which of course is true. It is pretty much impossible, but I'm not going to say that. Um, It is also difficult for me because I never saw Rod Laver play. What I am going to say is that I think Roger Federer is the most naturally gifted tennis player there has ever been. I think he's certainly the best tennis player I have ever seen, without a doubt. Is that strong enough an answer for you? Um, it's a bit. It's a bit of a it's cop a bit, out. It is a bit, a bit isn't out. it? It is a bit. Okay, I, okay, really okay. The I think Federer. As well. There we go. I think Federer. Yeah, yeah. I think Federer as well. I mean, I think the 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 problem we have is that we didn't see, we didn't witness Rod Laver when he was amassing his titles. We didn't know what that era felt like, and I often feel that that's a, a great big. Uh, judging factor in all of this you know when Federer was at his very best he felt unbeatable um at times and and also I think his longevity is is something to to really savor as well I mean here he is you know 10 years on I mean he won his first Grand Slam title at Wimbledon in 2003 and here we are at the end of 2012 so a full decade of uh, of winning and competing for Grand Slam titles and and having a real chance at, at ending the year number one 10 years after he first uh, was, was doing that another I mean, caveat for I me put on it is yeah, on. that with the comparison of not having won a calendar Grand Slam, when Rod Laver was playing, uh, there, were, there were not the surface changes that there are these days. Three of those no. slams were on grass. Um, and you'd have to think that if three of the four slams were on grass, Federer might have won even more than he has won and he might well have yeah, done a couple a of calendar year Grand Slams. So I think that point is important when comparisons are being made on that basis. Yeah, very good point. I think so. I think that's a very, very good point too. Uh, we've also had uh, a, a tweet come in from Paul Field, who has an idea for a new tournament. Wants to see what we think about it. Basically, you get a twenty-four man field. Um, you you have one from every nation, um, in, and uh, and you ha- you divide it up into two halves of the draw, A to M first alphabetically. Uh, is one half of the draw, and then N to Z is the other half. Um, I, I mean, I think, and, and he, say, he says he's worked it all out, and, and, and basically it comes out perfectly, 12 in each half. Except uh, that but, Spain, uh, Switzerland and Serbia would all be in the same half. That seems a bit unfair. Well, no, but isn't that the appeal? Isn't that the appeal? You know, wouldn't it be fascinating to see a tennis draw where you didn't have seedings keeping apart uh, Nadal, Djokovic and Federer? How, how fun would that be? Maybe it would be quite interesting, actually, because the point we've made with somebody like Dimitrov and um, certainly I was looking at the draws that, you know, a lot of people are waking, waiting for Ryan Harrison to make a breakthrough and he has had horrendous draws in every, you know, he just can't catch a break. He seems to draw a Murray or a Djokovic in the first round of every slam. You've got to wonder whether these guys, all they need is just to catch a bit of a break and, uh, and you know, not face being drawn against one of the top seeds, you know, rounds one or two. So um, I think as a one-off event, maybe it would be quite interesting, yeah. Yeah, OK, Paul, we're, we're on for that. So, uh, you know, put put that together and, um, you know, we'll find ourselves a nice uh, rich promoter and we'll, uh, we'll make a fortune with your idea. Um, we've also got uh, had a, a tweet from um, the Charlottesville 
tennis uh, challenger tennis tournament uh, in the United States, which takes place uh, on the 29th of October. Basically, they just want us to promote their event. So, uh, uh, hello to everybody at the Charlotte uh, Challenger Tennis Tournament. We've decided we're going to give you a plug. So there it is, and we'll uh, we'll have a little look to see how how that uh, event uh, unfolds when the time comes around. See if there's anybody in the draw that uh, that takes our interest. Uh, that's the 29th of October. Uh, what else has been going on in the tennis world? Uh, over the last week, Catherine? We've had a couple of uh, some interesting things going on behind the scenes in terms of rule changes. It's interesting you mentioned a challenger event just there because one of the uh, rule changes that's being proposed is going to be trialled on the challenger tour from 2013 and that is to have no let serving, to abandon uh, let cords uh, on on serves. Hmm. That's interesting. I like the idea of that. I mean, I remember if I think back about five years ago, I uh, I was asking John McEnroe for a series of uh, rule changes that he would make, and and one of the he did, he wanted to get rid of let's let serves and uh, and all that kind of thing, and and I mean I think the the time taken between points and even between serves now, particularly by Nadal and Djokovic, has reached ridiculous levels to well that's the other um rule change that's going to be introduced um straight away to the main tour from 2013 actually is that they've introduced a um a, a first serve penalty so essentially they're increasing the number of increments of of um of penalty for taking more than the allotted time in between serving so you've got a warning first and then rather than it jumping straight to a point penalty there's a serve penalty um i guess encouraging umpires to to be a bit more stringent with dishing out penalties because at the moment they're definitely reluctant aren't they yeah i like that you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
I must say, I think that that's a good move. What do you think? I do too. I like both rules. I mean, I think it'll be interesting. They both seem sort of lots of pros, not many cons. I do think speeding up the game, particularly on the men's side, is very important. It's one of those things that actually when you're watching on TV, they've become so good at editing and commentary and everything, you you almost don't notice um, the amount of time it's taking between points because you've got replays and but then when you watch in person, it's suddenly very stark, isn't it? You haven't got somebody talking through Djokovic bouncing the ball 18 times. You haven't got somebody showing a replay whilst, whilst you know, Del is going for the towel in between first and second serves. And you're just sitting there, you know, with, with itchy feet a little bit. Um, so I think it's a good thing. I think it's going to be interesting when the first match is decided by a, by a let called on a serve or something like that. Um, but... I'm sure that will be extremely rare um, and, um, yeah, about time, really. I think it's it's very positive. Well, there we go. Thumbs up from uh, both of us here on the Tennis Podcast for the prospective rule changes. And, in fact, we have been speaking to some of our uh, interviewees about uh, the the tennis rules that they would like to change in the sport. And we'll uh, feature some of those in the coming weeks here on the Tennis Podcast. But right now, I think we'll uh, we'll have our interview, shall we, with uh, Goran Ivanisevic. We've broken it up into two parts. The first uh, this week, the, the second part next week and in the first part Goran talks about his early career which was played against the backdrop of the Balkans war in the former Yugoslavia between 1991 and 1995. As hellish a time as that was for his countrymen and the region in general Ivanisevic was inspired to represent his nation of Croatia on the tennis court and he reached two Wimbledon finals in that time. So what are his memories of that period of his life? But there is some good parts and bad parts about that. Uh, I mean, bad parts is all the war. As a first, I mean, it's always not good when it's war. You cannot communicate with your with your family. Uh, I mean, you can get the line every 20 days, and you're sh- just dialing all night long, and uh, and you don't know what's going on. And uh, but good part is the motivation I had to win the matches for Croatia, to speak about Croatia, because every time I won, so the people asked me something. So it was a good uh, motivation. And, and I actually, I played the best tennis. I had something to play for, something to fight for, something to really enjoy. And I was really happy on the court, because Croatia was, that was the, that was the good part. So, and in the end, you know, it's always a lot of, Bad things happened in the war, but now we are good and uh, you know this behind us. Do you remember the first time time that you realised that you had a really dangerous first serve? Do you remember the first time you thought to yourself, "Wow, I can go places with this serve"? Actually, I always said uh, interesting serve, but I didn't have a power. Which was interesting. What my father always said to every coach that I went, or he took me, say, "Okay, you can change him every shot." that he has but don't even t- try to touch his serve and I didn't have anything special but my serve was very simple motion was same like it now and uh, I was I didn't have power because the uh, wooden records were so heavy like so but then after I knew it that something is is there because I really always enjoy to hit ace always uh, and even now I have this inside me you know I, I never was serving hard but I always serve a lot of aces. I always wanted to hit more aces than hit like 220 or 230. 
Did it come naturally to you? It came naturally. It was really the shot that I, I, I really... And they always ask me why I hold the racket down. And they thought it's some kind of, you know... But my this wooden racket was so heavy that I couldn't lift it up. So it was easier for me to hold it down. <laughs> So that's the reason if nobody, you know, people, if they ask, you know, it was too heavy. The wooden record was too heavy. I was too skinny <laughs> to lift it up. Now, we have to talk about the Wimbledons you didn't win, I'm afraid. Before we talk about the one that you did, obviously, 1992 Wimbledon, you beat Edberg and you beat Sampras. And I beat Lendl. And you I must have been thinking, this is in the stars. Could you believe what happened to you in the final? No, because I was absolute favorite. I was like, nobody even thought I could lose to Agassi. If you ask anybody that day. But I was scared before I was going to the final because it's the first time I've stayed back. And I didn't know what to do, you know. Nobody stayed back except him. And I still had so many chances and still so many gifts. And uh, I somehow 37 aces I managed to lose that final. But uh, not only that final that I lost, I had so many chances, 95 semi-finals against Sampras in the semis, 6-4 in the fifth, 94 final, 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, six, love, okay, first two sets, third set he killed me, he was really playing well. Actually, the one that I should win was 98, if we had a Hawkeye. They will probably win that match because that one set point to go to says to love up the return, which I thought was good. Linesman didn't agree with me. With the Hawkeye, I think uh, it will be interesting. Uh, plus two says to love against Sampras, I think. And I lost 6 4 in the fifth. So that was, that was uh, very disappointing. And then when I didn't expect anything, you know, like usually in my life, uh, I won. Until this day, today, I don't know how I, I managed it. Those, those finals that you lost, what, what did you do on, on the nights of the losses? Where did you go? Actually, 92 and 94, I, I didn't feel so bad. 92, I was like, I mean bad. I felt bad, but still, I remember the finals. I told them, I'm young, I still have time. 94, I, I got my... I was pretty easy. I mean, easy. Nothing is easy, but still. By 98, I was... Oh, I was really... For a long time, I was... In the shock of that fight because I really thought... And I played a good tennis. I thought I can win that and I should win that. And uh, So that, that one killed me. And that's my career went down after that final. So that one... How long did it take you to feel happy again after that one? Uh, three years. Until 2001? Yeah. Wow. Did you ever consider quitting after that? No. Uh, actually, I still enjoy a little bit US Open that year. But after that, I was just struggling with time. I was showing up at the tournament. It was probably I didn't have anything better to do. So, Goran Ivanizovic, that's part one of our interview. Um... It does get a bit cheerier next week, folks, when he talks about his uh, his eventual win, his fairy tale triumph in, in 2001. But it, it does put it into perspective, Catherine, doesn't it? The way we almost forget that, that I mean, his career to that point was, was a feeling of, of unfulfillment for him, or as, as wonderful a time as he'd had. I mean, goodness me, if anybody knows how to have a good time, it's Goran Ivanisevic, and, and he's so much fun to, to be around as well. But, you know... 
we've often speculated, you and I, haven't we, what would have happened to this guy if he hadn't have won Wimbledon? I mean, I, I, I dread to think. But, uh, you know, he, he really went through it for a while, didn't he? And, and particularly, as, as he was telling you there, three years it took him to get over that 1998 uh, Wimbledon final loss to Pete Sampras. And, and really, not until he won the title did he do so. Mm, it was very interesting, him saying how much harder that third final loss hit him than the than the previous two. I think because he'd just been so close, hadn't he? I mean, I think the first final loss was difficult because, as he said, he 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 felt that he was such a strong favourite. Um, that must have been difficult. But that one in '98, um, I mean, he even went so far as to say that if Hawkeye had been involved, then uh, perhaps he would have won. Um, so it's obviously. Well, I think he, I think he's got a point. I mean, you know, I, I remember that final. He was a set up, uh, won a tie break against Sampras. Then he he was in a second set tie break against him, and you know, I think his his view is that. The, the line call that went against him cost him a two sets to love lead. And from two sets to love up, I suppose it's a little bit like how Andy Roddick felt when mm. he missed that high backhand volley against Federer. From two sets to love, would they have lost? You know, that's that's a heck of a good advantage for, for a server like those two. Well, absolutely. Two sets to love up. I don't know what his stats are um, with the number of times he's lost in two sets to love up, but I suspect it has not happened very often. So, um, yeah, I think he probably does have a point. But then would he change anything now? I I, I don't think so. I mean, he couldn't score. Well, not the, not the way it's worked out. But, I mean, you know, it, it is an interesting one because um, I remember s- speaking to uh, Jelka Frunulovic, the uh, the former French Open champion, a good friend of, of Goran, who at the time was uh, running the ATP uh, out of their Monte Carlo office. And I was working for them at that time. And I remember watching... Goran's semi-final that year in 1998. He played Richard Krajicek. He was two sets to love up. And then Krajicek came all the way back to two sets all. And Goran eventually won 15-13 in the fifth set. And, and basically, Joko was saying, you know, he's tired himself out. This is this is a nightmare. And I said, well, you know, he's, he, he'll, he'll be in the final many more times, won't he? But I think the view was, you know, maybe he won't be. This is, this is the thing. And, and really... After '98, um, there was that that three-year period, and I mean, let, let's not forget that the the guy went off the rails a little bit. To be honest, you know, he was not really talked about between 1998 and 2001. I mean, you know, I'll always remember the uh, the, the classic Goran story of, of of being in Brighton in 2000 in November, and has to be the moment of all moments where you just think Goran has lost it because you know he's playing a match I think it was against Hyung Tai Klee and, and in the umpire's chair was uh, Jerry Armstrong the, the British umpire and I remember being the communications manager there and, and suddenly getting called out to the court where you know the, the player stopped both players are at the chair Goran has no racket in his hand and his arms his palms are outstretched and we hear an announcement ladies and gentlemen uh, the match is over because Goran Ivanovic doesn't have any rackets left. And basically, he'd broken the lot. Every single one that he brought with him, he'd picked them all up, he'd smashed them all to pieces and thrown them in the bin. And and he just lost his mind. He, do- he does cite that as his most embarrassing career moment. There was this moment where Hyung Tight Lee just said, well, do you want one of mine? <laughs> 
<laughs> do you want one of my rackets? <laughs> and uh, Goran's, Goran just c- could not play at that point. He, he, I mean, he said, I couldn't use anybody else's racket. And we were supposed to bring him into a press conference. And I mean, of all the players on the circuit, he's probably the one I, I've always got on the best with. But, you know, there was no talking to him. And off he went in, in a car on his own. He wasn't going to do a press conference. And uh, about an hour later, eventually called him again. And, and he agreed to come back and uh, and did his press conference. But... You know, he was, at that stage, I, I think if anybody had told us that he would have en- actually won a Grand Slam title, I don't think any of us would have believed it. I think we felt that this was the the bizarre, crazy punctuation to his career, the the moment that we, we would look back and think, here's Goran Ivan- Ivanisevic, cracking player, amazing serve, absolutely crackers. Um, and uh, And to prove it, his defining moment is going to be him losing a match because he's run out of rackets. I'm glad it didn't end like that. Oh, me too. Me too. He's We're not allowed to have favourites, but he is one of our favourites, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is. I'll tell you what, I think he's he's underestimated as a player as well in some ways because, and not just in terms of his ability, but in terms of his desire because um, I was looking at his record from the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. He actually played and won four five-set matches in a row to reach the semi-finals there. That, I mean, that was on That's clay. Fine, that is quite it? something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fortunately, he didn't go on to win it. I'm sure he'd love to have an, uh, no, an Olympic gold. Lost but... to Mark Russey in the uh, in the semis, who uh, who went on to win that gold. Funny enough, when I when I saw this record, I, I texted him yesterday and said, "Goran, uh, four or five set match wins in a row. You must have, you, you're an Iron Man in disguise." And then he, he, he all he texted back, he just said, uh, "And doubles." <laughs> and I looked at his doubles record, and and he'd also got to the semi-finals, winning a load of a load of matches uh, that had gone quite a long way as well. So, you know, he's he's one of these who's got a memory for virtually every match he's played. It, while, and, um, while we're uh, bringing up Goran memories, am I allowed to um, <clears throat> am I allowed to to bring up what his nickname for you is? Um. All right then. Yes, his nickname for me is uh, Eagle. Um, because of the way uh, I uh, once, um, not really thinking, uh, managed to trip down a, a flight of stairs in front of him, and uh, as he puts it, soar to the bottom and land in a heap, and he thinks that is the funniest thing he's ever seen in his whole life. So uh, thanks very much, Goran, for that. Um, his his face, got... he just creases into laughter every time he remembers it, yeah. especially as yes, now well... he's, he's now seen me fall over in similar fashion at several different events, and he thinks that law sports only hire people with a ridiculous propensity to fall over in public is this a podcast thing (laughs) is this what we do on the tennis podcast fall Fall over over in front of grand slam champions (laughs) Uh, fantastic uh well fortunately we've got many more stories about goran that he's got about us so uh so we win uh one thing i do remember as well um from before uh when he actually before he won uh wimbledon in 2001 was uh was uh, the effect he had on the young players at that time. And, I mean, one of those was Roger Federer. And I remember being in, uh, in a locker room in, uh, in Miami in 2001. I think it was one of Federer's first real sort of breakout moments. He, he, he got through to the quarterfinals, I think, at that tournament. And uh, it was before he beat Sampras at Wimbledon. And, uh, but, you know, I remember being in the locker room. And Goran, you know, he was still three or four months a, a, away from his huge moment of winning Wimbledon for the first time and uh, 
and they looked up to him in terms of you know his laddishness i suppose you you might say and and uh and roger federer was was basically quizzing goran about uh, about his life on the tour and 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 goran was just going into story after story after story about his escapades on the circuit and the places he'd been and the, the scrapes he'd got into and and federer just thought this was the funniest thing he'd ever heard in his life and uh and i'm standing there thinking really do you have to try to influence these people in this manner goran um but fortunately roger federer has taken a, a slightly different route and a route which has probably suited his personality more so but you know i don't think i've ever met anybody on the tennis circuit and this is this is the truth that and I, and I really am racking my brains to think of anybody who's actually got a bad word to say about goran Ivanovic, who's who's encountered him on the tennis tour he's He's charming company for journalists in the media room. He's always got a story. He's always telling jokes. Um, all the players like him. You know, he's just not one of those sorts of characters that anybody dislikes, is he? No, absolutely. He's hilarious, but he's not, he's not trying to be anything, is he? He is genuinely a little bit bonkers, but as you say, charming, funny. Um, yeah, he's he's great to be around on the Champions Tour. And all the, I know all the other players feel that way as well, so... No, he's um, he's definitely a special one, isn't he? Yes, indeed. Goran Ivanisovic, who will be here again next week in the Tennis Podcast when we get into part two, uh, when his dream finally comes true and, uh, and he wins the Wimbledon in 2001. I mean... That was was really one of the great tennis moments, I think, of all time. We'll 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 talk about that uh, in more detail next week. Talk um, about how I was supporting Pat Rafter that day. I've already admitted oh, yeah. that on oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes, my mind goes back to episode one of the tennis podcast when you admitted this. Now you've actually done this interview since that that revelation. I know. Obviously, did you I didn't have you admitted it, it to him yet? <laughs> no, have you admitted it? Not. No, well, no, he'll find out one day, but. I there think we that's go. just disgraceful. There you were, interviewing him, getting him to pour out his heart about the greatest moment of his life, and in truth, you were sat there hoping it didn't happen. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I do genuinely feel feel a bit bad about it now. I, yeah. So you but, should, But, I mean, Catherine come on, Pat Rafter, nicest, nicest man in the world. How can you... I mean, if I went back now, I'd still be a bit torn... You know, no, come on! If you went back now, who would you support? I'd support Goran. Pat had two U.S. Opens. He's fu- Pat. Pat is absolutely fine living his life now without that Wimbledon title. He's a happy guy. I don't know if I could say that Goran would be in the same shape if he hadn't won that Wimbledon. Well, you know, Pat. I'm. Uh, you know, you know how how we're always saying now what a gentleman you are, and and we, we you know we. We, we, we really back you and we support you. And, and you know how Catherine said she supported you during that Wimbledon final in 2001? Well, she's changed her oh, mind. Oh, no, it's all, being, it's all being turned on me. I can't win here. <laughs> well, I think everybody who uh, who witnessed that final had, had a favourite one or the other, didn't they? And um, we'll talk about it more next week. Perhaps you you might want to send your memories of where you were, what you were doing and how you were feeling 
when you watched Goran Ivanovic finally win Wimbledon in 2001? Let us know on at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. That's all for now here on the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back with the second half of that interview with Goran Ivanovic next week. We'll also review the Shanghai tournament, which will be building to a conclusion for the rest of this week. Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer still in the tournament as I speak. And it'll be very interesting to see how that one builds to a crescendo. But that's it from us for now. Speechy said. Well, we might not have covered his crowning glory this week, but it was still great to remember Goran Ivanovic the early years. And you can hear the rest next week here on the Tennis Podcast. You can also watch him play in London. Goran will join John McEnroe, Tim Henman, Pat Cash and the rest at the Statoil Masters Tennis at London's Royal Albert Hall in December. 